Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Dave, although you took very thorough precautions in the pod against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. All right, Hal. I'll go in through the emergency airlock. Without your space helmet, Dave, we're going to find that rather difficult. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. So here's my introduction to 2001. It was Christmas. This is the greatest fucking Christmas ever. 1983. And my father came down with a gift on Christmas Eve. It was called a VCR. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the big, you know, the big monstrous ones? The, the big clunky buttons? Yeah, and then yep. you'd come up and it'd be like fucking RoboCop. Yeah. Oh, we had that thing for years. I missed it. We, and, had, a, we had a very similar one. Well, uh, the, I think they all were like that when they first came out. I think I basically um, wore it out. I, I was I watched that many films on it. Oh, God, I recorded all my Saturday morning cartoons on it. Yep. And, Mm-hmm. And oh, we got just the tracking. Remember that? <laughs> yep, I remember it all. And you used to be able to get a tracking videotape where you actually inserted it and it sort of cleaned it up. Sorry, that's not something tracking. That's if it was like you know, sort of snowy. Yeah, you could do that, or, or tape it just clean the le- mm-hmm. the lenses, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But anyways, um, yeah, it was a JVC. Yes, I believe. And so my my mom and dad perfect pick of movies. So it was kind of one for each. Here's my two older brothers were with me. And mm-hmm. it, my first, here it is. Here's the lineup. The first three movies ever we watched. It was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Classic. Creep, Creep Show. Yeah, brilliant. And 2001. Right. The very first film that we watched whenever my parents uh, bought me and my sisters a, um, you know, for the family, they bought a video recorder, a VCR was a cartoon version of Gulliver Travels because my sisters were a little bit younger, so it was like the cater for us all type uh, thing. I give you Creepshow, Raiders, in 2001, and you give me fucking Gulliver's Travels. I know that there for fuck's sake, yeah. <laughs> and these were in the uh, the cases were huge. Yes. I remember and, them. Uh, Warner Brothers especially because they had that plastic case that you opened up. It was like a book. Yes. Uh, but what is, I remember the smell of it. I actually remember everything. And this is when video stores were just coming coming out, coming of age. With this local video place called uh, Video Centers. 
in an Apple Valley Center. It was uh, it was just great Christmas. And then that same Christmas, Christmas Day, after me and my brother stayed up watching all these films, I didn't watch 2001 because I was like a little kid. And I was like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> um, we went to my mom's friend's house for Christmas. Yes. And that, they got a VCR. So they ran to the shop to get me and the kids a movie while the adults were upstairs. And me and my brothers and their and, and their and their kids could watch a movie. They came back with Night Shift with right. Michael Keaton. And my mom and dad thought it was too raunchy. So they needed some, <laughs> I, they, they, so they, which it isn't by today's standards, it's not raunchy at all. And so they come they come back from the video store and it's the thing. <laughs> Classic. Um, yeah. That was the best Christmas ever. Mm-hmm. Can't touch that Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but long story short, as people join the conversation there, uh, welcome to Citizen Frame. I'm the host, Kieran. Joining with me is the usual misfit, Trevor. Excellent to be here, as always, Kieran. Thank you. And we're talking, sorry, we're not talking Raiders. Sorry, we're not talking Creep Show. And yes, we've already talked about the thing, but today we're talking 2001. You know, I gotta say, this is a tough one for me because I hate Kubrick. Uh, but again, I didn't really watch a lot of his stuff. I'm gonna roll my eyes at his stuff. I uh, like The Shining. I think it was the the performances that made that for me. Um, what about Full Metal Jacket? That was okay, but it came out at a time during uh, Platoon, Hamburger Hill. I yeah, we there was better. a whole plethora of Vietnam films released yeah. around that time. Yeah, and I just thought there were better made films. I Platoon's brilliant as well. Um, there was one with Michael J. Fox. What did you call that one? I, I remember it. That was decent. That was Brian De Palma. The De Palma one, yes. Uh, uh, Sean Penn. Called Casualties Casual- of War. Casualties of War. Very, yes. very fucking disturbing film. Um, the ugliness of what went on with the soldiers in, in Vietnam there. And it's... It's a hard watch, but Michael J. Fox, underrated gem. It's a very good film. With Full Metal Jacket, I actually think that it's actually let down by the second half. It's still brilliant. Yes. It's still very good. But the first half in the boot camp with Private Pile and stuff mm-hmm. is some of the best fucking drama I've ever seen on screen. Yes. That's what Full Metal Jacket's known for is the first half. Yes. Um, it's more of his commercial kind of stuff. Kubrick, he doesn't do a lot of commercial stuff. Mm-hmm. I think Full Metal Jack is more commercial. Yes, where he dealt. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm not a fan of a lot of his stuff. We'll talk about it. We'll get into it a little bit more. Um, but I think he's a lot like Lucas. And when I mean by George Lucas, again, this is not taken away from George Lucas or even from Stanley Kubrick. Who I'm, is they're good at setting up the sheen. They're good at. They're good at um, what to do. They're good. No, no, not not necessarily direction. I'm talking more what production designing. They're good yes. at um, getting uh, get choosing the right uh, visuals. Yes, they're great as a DP, a director of photography. Uh, great as producers, maybe, but as a director, I think the arrogance gets comes first when it comes to Kubrick. It shows in this film. It definitely shows in The Shining. It shows in um, Eyes Wide Shut, where he even says, I just wanted to make a softcore porn with A-list actors. He even says The Shining, famous scene at the end of the film, where you see a picture of Jack in the uh, celebrating. Yeah, it's 1921 20, or 22 on there. Yeah, 21, I think, yeah. And they even ask, why'd you do that? Because I could. 
Yeah. It's, uh, Stephen no, King notoriously hates Kubrick's version of The Shining. Yeah, we talked about that when we did The Shining. And I would say, King, I saw your version. Trust me, I like I like Kubrick's better. Uh, yeah, the made-for-TV one. Yeah. But again, I think it boils down to the performances. And again, I don't want to take away because Kubrick did make the film and that'd be kind of a, you know, being kind of a hypocrite. But mm-hmm. most of the stuff, you can have it. But we'll start with the big one, 2001. Now, 2001, <laughs> I'm, I went in this. I remember seeing it uh, after... Years after we got the VCR, and well, let me put it this way, and this is what pisses me off. This is written by a man who is a genius, Arthur C. Clarke. Yep. Um, and Based on a short story, he actually made the comment: "If you understand 2001, then we have failed." And he's right. Um, we wanted to raise more questions than what we than than get answers or something like that. And I totally agree with him. And this is where I knew you'd fucking have a hard on for this, because you people, <laughs> you people, people you know, yeah, are such suckers. And this elevated horror we talked about with the lighthouse, these the guys scene, yeah. can throw shit to the wall, and you would go, my God, it's a Jackson Pollock. <laughs> I, I, you know, I love, I, I love films that are open to. Your own interpretation. I love trying no, to figure out the puzzle. That's not fair. It is, but it, even the it, the fucking author says, "I don't know." <laughs> because I mean, he is re- re- by raising more questions, it means that the viewers going oh, for good and bad. I mean, the fact that we're sitting talking about it, and you're talking about that. You know, when was it made? Um, like fifty-four years ago was yeah. like released. The fact yeah. that we're sitting discussing it now, you don't like it. I do love it. Um, and the fact that we're sitting discussing it proves that it is that what they were trying to do, they have succeeded in. To the fact that we're sitting discussing it and discussing, and we're going to be discussing what happens in it and what doesn't happen in it. You know what's going on with the subtext and stuff. Um, then they have succeeded one hundred percent because if it was mediocre, if everything was spelt out to us, to us the viewers, it would be forgotten about, and we wouldn't be discussing it now. And I love that. To me, that's true art. And and I know that sounds pretentious. And I know Kubrick is a pretentious director. And two thousand and one is pretentious, but it it does pretentious well. Um, in fact, more than well. Uh, this is basically a big budget art house film. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with that. But you, your argument I have with you is people. There's there's movies can be master can be masterpieces. Based on their visual, yes. You know, Lawrence of Arabia would be a perfect example. This is considered one. I don't agree with it. Titanic, but you're saying then technically Titanic, because it's a visual stunner, but the acting, but the acting, the story, everything in the Titanic's weak. Listen to our podcast, folks, <laughs> and then that's the same thing as two thousand and one. No, no, because two two thousand one has profound meaning behind everything that's going on. Well, uh, no, no, no. You can say that about Titanic. Titanic? No, no. You guys, no, fuck, probably, fuck, come no, on. Yeah, I don't care. That's what you're saying. You guys, just, <laughs> Titanic is about as as shallow as the fucking. I'm, I'm assuming some of the fucking um, water pools that you used to make it. Um, <laughs> um, well, they're probably deep, to be fair. But um, so, so, <laughs> let's just say that the, the, the water tanks and you know these big giant water tanks on set that you used on Titanic would have been much deeper than the actual film itself. 
Um, no, no, this is this is about this is a film, two thousand and one, about the meaning of life, which um, basically, uh, and you know what it means to be human and how hum- humanity came about. All those massive questions about oh creation and stuff. And okay, to be fair, they admit that they don't have the answers uh, because. If they did, well, it would be God themselves. Yes, it's grand. Yes, it's over the top, and that you know, respect. But they do a hell of a fucking good job, and and that is the point in it to raise more questions and give okay, answers. Let's, okay, let's just start. Let's get into this here. Yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, let's get this part out of the <laughs> way. Also, it has a psychotic fucking well, it's not psychotic, sociopathic um, computer. Hal yeah, which 9, is 000. completely wasted, and we'll talk about Hal, uh, the best actor in the film. <laughs> all right by so the way can... the acting um i'd just like to say that the acting is meant to be sort of stiff and clipped because oh here we go the study that's, that's the go. way actual real astronauts militaristic uh-huh. basically they're militaristic they go through through all this militaristic yeah. training uh-huh. and that's the way astronauts can be but anyway go ahead oh my god stop stop <laughs> even you can find a way to get back no actually i don't mind kier Dulay or gary lockwood yeah um they play uh, well. We're not there yet, so okay. yeah. So first of all, we get you know four minutes of blackness. That's always nice. <laughs> um, and then, and then, then you see Dawn of Man, right? Yeah. So we're not going to go through the whole thing. We get a bunch of photos of the desert, and we see these Neanderthals. Yes. We'll just say monkeys. Yes. Uh, and um, we got monkeys eating. You got monkeys, monkey being eaten by a cheetah. Yes. Then we see. The monkey brawl. You got the east side monkeys against the west side monkeys. <laughs> then you got the cheetah again eating a zebra. That fucker's yes. hungry. Yep. Then you got the monkey sleeping. It's pretty much the day in life of a monkey or Neanderthal <laughs> if you want if you want to be a fact. So then they see this this thing come down, this this monolith. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the monkeys who had an argument uh, with the the rival monkeys. They decide, ooh, I can use these bones as a weapon. Yes. So they start dominating, taking over, eating again, eating more, because now they're starting to adapt. It's evolution. Yeah, the, the, basically and what it's saying is, this is how the evolution of man began. So is this, this monolith... object. So is it an alien or is it God? Don't know. Not explained. Oh, of it's course. Not. Of course it's not. Thank you. Oh, my God. So we get that whole scene of all the monkeys. And I got that scene. I actually got it for that. I just said, okay, I see what they're going with. It's evolution, uh, this godlike fig- monolith, whatever it's from, alien being, Scientology, you pick, whatever. Jenner. Tom, Tom Cruise <laughs> shows up. Uh, whatever. Yeah, I got where they're going with it. Then we go to the complete opposite side where it's way, way in the future. One of the greatest cuts in cinematic history as well, by the way, with the bone, and then all of a sudden it's the space station. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, (laughs) Curb your enthusiasm, Kieran. I I will say, no, I'm going to start liking the film a little bit here. I do, I will say this. I do appreciate the film more. We usually say it through the podcast eyes, you know, but it's usually more of a negative thing because it usually brings down the film you kind of like growing up. You kind of got to nitpick it a bit. But with this one, it goes up a notch a little bit for me because I do appreciate a lot of the stuff. We'll just, um, first things off, we'll talk about the visual effects. They're incredible for the, for the, for the even by today's standards, I think the visual effects are amazing. Yeah, they're beautiful. Especially if you watch this on um, these days in um, high definition. They're stunning. And I do like his, the way he, he transitions the scene 
So what he does, he does these montages in between main scenes. And instead of giving us this fucking grand expose of blah, blah, dialogue, blah, blah, dialogue, he soldiers it through music. Uh, M- music and visuals. Yeah. There's blue. no actual dialogue until about half an hour into the film. Yeah. So we get a lot of, what is it, Blue, blue Danube, I think is the famous song he uses. Uh, blue Danube song, the classical piece. Um, that's played throughout these montages. And I do like how they set that up. They'll give you an expose of the ship and then walk in without gravity, you know, stuff like that. And that stuff, I do like those kinds of setup. Um, I like the little... <laughs> I and like then that, I like Rig- that the- Rigsby. Now, you might, you might remember Rising Damp, you know, being from America. I don't know if you've got it there. But uh, Rising Damp was a famous 1970s sitcom about this grumpy landlord. And Leonard Rossiter, who played Rigsby, the landlord, it plays the Russian cosmonaut in this. Is that the big tall guy? No, he's the guy you know sitting with the two women in the Hilton in space. Yeah, the big tall guy. Yeah, well, he, he the, he's the, fucking the, huge. You the see black her. I can't remember. He's the one drinking. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um. So I do like. Okay, the first scene is we okay. He's got a, that's that's the space station. <laughs> they call it the Hilton Space Station. Yes. Do you notice how he does this a lot, Kubrick? He'll have like you walk into the space station. It's completely white. And he does this a couple times in the film. Completely white. Yes. But he'll like pepper in. Film. But he'll pepper in red little chairs. Mm-hmm. Bright red. One color. No other colors. He does. Just, he does um, some similar in a, in a Clockwork Orange. I was about to say that he's yeah. he does this a lot with the Clockwork. Even the Shining. Sometimes he does it. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that because less is more. He do, he peppers in a sharp color, and he doesn't uh, take away the focal point for the people that are on the screen. Yes. See, see, before he became a filmmaker, Kubrick was actually a professional photographer. No, so, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, you, I, 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 I figured that. Yeah. Um, I do like. So we're introduced here to Doctor Floyd. Yes. And he is the one sent up. He's he's in the transition phase where he's taken Earth to the station, station to the moon, where the monolith is now placed. Yes. And it's been embedded in in the moon's core or whatever. Yeah, they dug it up basically. Hey, did you see the little kid when talked? I will say this too. We talked about we talked about Philip K. Dick a bit on this podcast. I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan. Yes, and we're coming up on Blade Runner soon. Um, and Philip K. Dick is very was very smart in predicting the future, the technology we would have. This really has that. Yeah, well, he does, zo- he does a Zoom call. Basically, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And he's, that's that's actually Kubrick's kid that's in that. that yes, shot. that's correct. Yeah. But she asks for a bush baby, <laughs> and I just start laughing. I'm like, "This has got to be banned." Well, well, I, well, there's a couple of there's a couple of bits. Of, uh, I know Kubrick can certainly be pretentious and very serious with his films, uh, but he, he does sprinkle the up. But you I mean obviously Doctor Strange Love is a comedy, but even as as really you know de- deadly serious films like this one, there's another visual joke where there's the anti gravity toilet. Yes, they have to read the instructions. Yes, but no, the, I had to look it up because it's not what we. Th- <laughs> it's a little. It's like a. It's an animal. Yeah, it's an animal. Yeah. Yeah, but I thought it was something. <laughs> and, oh you know. fuck! Your mind was in the sewer, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, no, not like I just thought it would be something inappropriate that yes. wouldn't, be, would, wouldn't be allowed now. I guess. Yes, you could yes, say. yes, yes. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I, I, I do like the introduction of Floyd. And then Floyd, again, we get another montage when he's traveling from the station to the moon. Mm-hmm. And there's another, there's a really nice shot where you got the, uh, the, the, I guess you can say air hostess. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. When she's, you know, walking and they're showing, you know, how they're doing the gravity, which we all know how the trick's done. Mm-hmm. It's pretty obvious. It's a revolving set, basically, yes. isn't it? Yeah. She's not moving. The set's moving. Yeah. Well, she's moving, but it looks like, I'll forget it. You know what I'm <laughs> Anyways. It's a revolving again, set. Again, it's all white, mm-hmm. but then yellow is the focus, focal point of the space station. Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I know that's what Kubrick does, as we were discussing just there, you know, with the colors. There's these very sharp colors, you know, within, yeah. like, the frames and rooms and stuff. Like Bar Maloko and stuff in the Clockwork Orange, or even Mr. Alexandra's house and stuff, you know? When you see, um, there's a couple shots. First of all, George Lucas, again, should pay royalties, because a lot, it almost looks like he took some of these ships yeah. and redid them for Star Wars. There's a scene where they're coming into the, the, the loading dock, uh, the ship's coming in to, to, to dock, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. It's Mary Image, the Death Star. Yes. It's literally mirror image. Lucas has sort of borrowed a lot from the likes of 2001, Dune. We um, talked about Dune, yeah. Seven Samurai. Yeah, there's basically, but I suppose... It's not a bad thing. I'm not, yeah. I'm not ripping on Tarantino it. Tarantino does it. Yeah, I'm yeah. not, I'm not bad mouthing. I'm just saying you got to give the, you got to give the, the model artists and the visual artists these credit for creating such a, a universe that, still borrowed to this day absolutely 50 odd years later yeah uh, but yeah so we got we got this as he's doing these montages it's it's almost like the first three quarters of this film plays like a space ballet mm-hmm. uh, until we get to our main guys Bowman and uh, who's the other guy Poole Frank Poole yeah Frank Poole um, but it just seemed to really not go anywhere. They, they, he, Floyd lands and he goes to look at this monolith, and he has this little speech where he tells people this is secure, nobody talk about it. You kind of been doing like, okay, they find the monolith that was introduced in the beginning with the uh, Neanderthals, and then it it gives this white, this loud pitch, the squeal. Yeah, the signal that comes from it. Yes, and I was confused there, but we'll get to where I think I figured it out. And that's the end of Floyd scene. Now we're cutting to little montage, and now we're in the Jupiter mission. Jupiter yes. mission Discovery 1, I believe it is. And this is where we meet our main guys, Bowman and Poole. And villain favorite, Hal 9000. I fucking love Hal. Yeah, Hal's pretty cool. I can't, you know, how many people have copied Hal since then? There's no point. Yes. I mean, yeah. this is this is the staple of the film. This is the film that everyone knows. You don't watch the film, but everyone knows Hal. <laughs> um, I thought he was in it more for some reason. I don't know why. I think the, the, the yeah, I think he's just in it enough. You know, he's not overused and he's not underused. Well, here's the stuff I liked. This is my favorite part of the film is these two guys. And you figure it'd be boring because there's only these two guys, but it's not. Hell, you know, is in there, and I do like when just the little things. Now, the dialogue runs smooth. I do think some of the scenes from this whole production are long. Uh, they could it, cut a lot of the stuff. 
And apparently, yes. and apparently, there is like there was hours upon hours of footage already cut. So yes, it takes a time. There, there's a great narrative and a story there, but boy, does it take its time. But, yeah. but I'm, I'm cool with that. You know, I mean, yeah. I watched this recently. I watched it actually last night for the podcast, but I watched it um, a few months ago again. I watched it many times over the years, every so often. Sucker. I watched it with a mate, Sucker. Uh, who's not really a film buff, and he just thought it was boring. Um, to quote him, uh, it was boring as fuck. Good man. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that because I wasn't bored, but the problem I had with it, I knew the ending I was getting. You're, so you're, you're I don't mind anyway. things that are slow burns as long as you give me that satisfactory ending. The payoff. The payoff. I think you do get the payoff on Oh, more. dear God. I'm Just so serious. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Everybody, we're still looking for other podcasters. Please, <laughs> for the love of God. I do like BBC 12. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they're, they're watching their interview. Well, that's obviously a bit of a joke as well because I think BBC 2 just came out around about then. So it was like a commentary on you know BBC having multiple channels, you know? Yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, do you like I now did Hal send out Bowman to fix the dish on purpose? Yeah, I think my understanding of it was you mean whenever Bowman dies? No, that's not Bowman Pool. Bowman sorry, goes sorry, out. Bo- Bowman no. goes out first. Hal says there's something wrong with the dish, dude. Yeah. And well, he doesn't say it that way. <laughs> um, so he goes out. There's a bad. There's a couple of bad shots here. Where and I'm sure they're miss edits. Where he goes out, uh, Bowman. He takes the little pot thing, and he goes out to fix this little dish. And then you see these meteorites like four hundred miles away <laughs> coming yeah. by the screen. What the fuck is the point of that? I think Ooh. I was just to add a bit of color to the sort of scene, you know, just to <laughs> say, yeah, we're in space. There's a the fucking meteorite. <laughs> you know, it just sounds very. There's a, there's a big rock. You for, know? for a guy, if Kubrick seems to. You know, he's not a copy and paste guy, so I'm, I'm shocked I saw this. And then it cuts to pool for like a half a second and it cuts back. It's like, I don't think the, the first time Bowman goes out to fix that, that was not down to Hal. Bowman was basically on the Hal from the start. Um, so he was, and then that's why he takes Frank away into the pod. And, no, 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 no. Hal goes, we have a problem on dish number blah, blah, blah. We'll call it Sky. <laughs> oh okay so he goes out to investigate He they're not going to know anything until he takes it out and it looks like he's got like a temporary replacement one he puts in and then he comes back with the broken one and they test it and there's nothing wrong with it I think that is when he decides hell you told us something was wrong with this how did you not this thing's in perfect working order yes that's yeah and then Hal Sam. goes, oh, you should put it back so we can actually look at it, monitor it more to see if I can find the problem. So right there, you can't, that's where I think Hal's whole thing was to get that thing in. I don't, I don't get why, what, what his plan was. Hal, oh, uh, the problem with Hal was, Hal was not, I know I said earlier on that he was sociopathic. Um, he does come across as sociopathic, but in reality, basically, the problem, that why Hal malfunctioned was because it was given conflicting information. They didn't. Um, these guys didn't. Know, they knew they were going to Jupiter, but they didn't know what they were going to find. It was to do with the, you know, the monolith. So, but the guys back at the space station did know this, and they had given Hal alternative information that conflicted then 
with what Dave and Frank wanted to do. So that's why Hal then didn't know how to deal with the conflicting um, information and became, well, a fucking murderer. Okay, is that why when Bowman, after Hal kills Poole, is that why Bowman, when he's disconnecting Hal, which way too long yes. for to disconnect Hal? <laughs> yeah, why didn't he just pull the fucking plug out? Yeah, you know, <laughs> where's the power button? <laughs> but he starts, and he, you know, he keeps telling him like he's hitting his memory. I'm losing my memory. It's kind of kind of sad. I kind of feel sorry for Hal. It's a, it's a very sort of poignant death scene, actually. But as Hal's dying, and he's coming to the end of his rope. Yes, is Hal play that video to to explain what you just said? Was that but, Hal who played that video of Dr. Floyd finally giving them a message of possibly, why they're there? Possibly. It's, it's not confirmed. But it, it, let's just say if Hal didn't play that, it, it, it is a coincidence that it just happened to happen at the same I time think that Hal dies. This is where you kind of feel sorry for Hal because I think this, as Hal's dying, I think this is why he played that video. It's too much of a coincidence. Oh, let's play the video here where he's inside the uh, hell mainframe. It makes, it actually, what you're saying makes sense. That so he was say, letting him know, yeah. this is the information I was given. You yes. told me this. I was starting to panic. So, because now they realize they're there to, because I, this makes sense now because the signal, that little squealing sound that they all had to hold their ears, you know, because yeah, of the, yeah. that was sending a message to this monolith. Is that correct? There's no, not there one is, monolith. There's there a couple. There only is one monolith. No, there's not. No, there's Are not. you sure? Yeah, because in the tape, he says it was sending... Um, he explains what happened to him. Because remember, he just covers his ears, and that's the end of his scene. Floyd's yes. gone. He makes the comment, it was sending a signal to Jupiter. And that signal had to reach the other monolith. Right. That lends a whole different context to the film completely for me. For I was always of the opinion... There was only one monolith? No, because he says a signal has been sent to Jupiter. Yes. And that signal was received by another monolith, if I'm not mistaken. Watch the film again. Yeah, well, See? Huh? Yeah. 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 The guy who hates the film is, is opening your mind now, isn't he? <laughs> well, anyway, it's, it's still you know it's still the same sort of alien force behind, you know, whether yeah. there's one monolith or, or there's multiple. But um, another thing, another thought that's always occurred to me is, was... Hal also under the control of the monolith, or the monoliths? If you no, because I don't think the monolith's evil. I don't think he. No, no, it's not. But it's something that always occurred to me. I mean, who is actually? And did um, Hal not just have two conflicting sets of of information to go on, or did he actually have three? What he was receiving from the monolith as well. So again, it's never explained. It's open to interpretation. Well, I I think it's got a little bit of don't fuck with mother nature, you know, technology. Don't yes. trust it, you know. Don't let it control everything. Which, ironically enough, it does. But there's a brilliant line but, by Hal actually, where he says, um, and 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 he's right whenever he says it. He says, um, I I I can never make a mistake. The only way that there can be a mistake is through human error, and it's really. Because of the conflicting sort of information that he's being given from, you know, two sides essentially of humans, that's why he fucks up. So technically, it is human error. Hal doesn't actually fuck up by by his own pure programming. It's the humans by giving them conflicting information. So there's a dig there. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. There's a there's a bit of a dig at humanity as well and saying 
Um, it's not actually the machine's fault. It's actually the humans that are dicks who program the machines. But then there's all that, you know, well, who then does he really have sentience and stuff or whatever? If the, you know, who's really in control? It's heavy shit, right? You know, in, on multiple levels. Yeah, yeah. I got it as just unplug it. Isn't there um, a scene in one of the the Naked Gun films where they defuse a bomb and it's like this big tense scene that goes on for ages and then eventually Frank Drebin just says oh fuck it and just pulls the plug out and that's it that's it that's why yeah I could have just done that talk about a segue yeah Uh. or or switch the router off kill the Wi-Fi (laughs) yeah so he's last one left he gets the Jupiter and this is where the film goes to complete shit. I disagree. I I can't. Words can't express what we're about to go through here. And <laughs> Good, because they're not meant to. So that's its I, strength. So we he starts he's traveling and he's in this little pod thingy. And is he hyperspacing or is he going through a wormhole? What's he doing right now? Never explained, but that's the thing. Oh, of course, it's, it's of course. He, he, he's course. basically going. Um, he's, he, this is beyond beyond existence. He's like seeing the meaning of life, and you know that the universe is going. This is something truly incomprehensible to humans. Yeah, got that right. <laughs> well, that's well. Thank you. Yeah, you're agreeing with me now. It's oh, oh fuck to, off! I'm not agreeing. With, and I, I, let me tell it's you, meant to we, be incomprehensible. I I didn't get anything. I was I was I experienced this shit with him. Okay, I watched this thing on 4K, and I'm sitting there. Ten fucking minutes. I timed it. Ten minutes. I know. It's very, it's very long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. No, it is, it, but it's meant to be. It, it, is, it is prolonged. Oh, Dude, my have you, have, now, I know you're not a fan of David Lynch, but did you ever watch the um, episode of the recent series of Twin Peaks where Lynch does something uh, very similar? Twin Peaks. Mm. Oh, f- well, anyway, it was in the, the, Lynch does some similar with a nuclear explosion in um, a very famous episode of the, the recent 2017 series of Twin Peaks. But anyway, no, no, this, I mean, but what, what I was, any time I watch it, I always think, um, yeah, this was made in the 60s. I bet there was loads of fucking hippies yeah. sitting there whacked out on, whapped out on acid and, you know, going, hey, man, totally heavy. You see a lot, yeah. a lot, a lot of actors walked out of this film. Rock Hudson. Yeah, I'm going, what the fuck was that? <laughs> Rock Hudson walked out of it, and uh, a lot of people walked out of the premiere and stuff. Oh, and saying, it's, it's, Look, a, I'm not going to say that. What a waste of talent. Now, I'm going to let you take over hosting, because I want you to explain to me your theory yes. of this horrible ending, and I'll start it off by, he's no longer in the pod. He's in the pod, but he's in a bedroom that was made with like some kind of Roman era bedroom. Yes. And he, then he's the pod. He's the man. He's himself. A little older. Then yes. he's the old man. Then he's the older man. And then he's the baby. Yes. Explain the, it. My, um, my theory, um, oh, again, this isn't confirmed. This is my theory, is that basically in space or wherever he is and to do with the monoliths, their power and whatever, he is experiencing um, his life throughout, but also... Um, experiencing time and space in a completely different way to what we are used to, right? So that's why he's seeing himself, and that's why he's aging dramatically and stuff. Um, it, it's all to do with the, this uh, time and space does not obey the laws that we are used to within this sort of monolith scenario. Um, so, yeah, he's then seeing himself sort of age 
dramatically, you know, and very quickly and stuff. Uh, he's also watching himself do it. It's basically Kubrick is fucking around with space and time. Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, they're fucking about with space and time, um, and that's what the monoliths are basically doing. Because it, but it's, you know, the way they approach space and time is completely alien um, to the way we do. Um, then at the very end, he becomes this basic, what's known as Arthur C. Clarke named as a star child, who is beyond like um, human existence. And he's, be, he's basically being reborn as an alien form, which is not shackled by down by any humanity. Superman. He's 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 a son of Jor-El. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Well. Oh, what a ripoff. Where's Zod? No, well, it's, it's, he's not flesh and blood anymore. He's basically this alien entity. It's like, it's part and gift. The, the part and gift to him by the monolith, or monoliths, as we discussed earlier. That's my take on it. Now, that could be complete and utter bollocks, but that's my take on it. All right, so your take is that this is complete utter bollocks. Perfect. No, no, no. No, no. thank you. I'd thank you, Trevor, for joining me. The, We're going to cut the word, the, 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 the important <laughs> word there is could. But you know what? Even if even if what I'm saying is bollocks, it works in my head. And it, it entertains me and gives me a lot of food for thought. And I fucking love it when a film does that, or a story, or a book, or whatever. <laughs> you, you, you do that. That's why I fo- this is going to sound pretentious as well. But these, to me, these are the greatest stories. The ones that whenever you, that stay with you, um, because whenever you walk away from it, you're like saying, you're trying to work it out. You can't stop thinking about it for good and bad, as See, you're doing for me, bad. Yeah, we had this argument before with with yeah. the lighthouse, and I get what you're saying. I don't mind a thought provoking film, but when you walk out of this, you know right away it's it's just jumble, just for the sake I don't of think it. No, and I, so, I don't think and so, so no, I'm for, so you, I just throw it away. I'm like, okay, I know this is just some pretentious pricks trying to throw some... <laughs> no, they are. They are. Come on. Don't say they're not. Because Kubrick look, definitely I, is. I, I have already admitted on this podcast that that this film and Kubrick in general and Kubrick in general can be a bit pretentious. Yes, absolutely. But that's okay because it's meant to be pretentious, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this well, is, I, it's this, not- as I said at the very start, this is an art house film. This is a big budget art house film. And it completely 100% works as a an art house film, but uh, for me also it is a visual um, masterpiece, an art house masterpiece. So, um, it's not a <laughs> film, obviously, <laughs> obviously Listen, it's not. A I will say film. this: it's better when my second time around seeing it. I do like the Floyd character. I do like the transitions of going to point A to point B with the montage, the music, instead of giving us a bunch of blah, blah, science jargon, they just show you. I do like the, the, the visuals itself, especially the interior. It does, you know, and, and I do like the hell sequence with Bowman and Poole. But once we get, once we get that fucking climax, ten, <laughs> a 10 minute of getting high, hippie, fucking <laughs> lava lamp shit. I was like, I, come on. Acid man. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just throws you off and it just sinks. And if no, this t- is exactly this. The movie. This is exactly what these fucking art hose films, as you call them, do. Especially elevated horror. It happened with Hereditary. It definitely happened. It happened with uh, the Witch. <laughs> it happened with Midsummer. It happened with the fucking Lighthouse. Well, Lighthouse was a train wreck. Period. <laughs> but there's I, no I ending. They just fucking throw. They just shove. They just. Uh, they just uh, rip the rug underneath your feet. <laughs> disagree completely and that's, there is and that's, a meaning to that end and, and uh, uh, you know um they really didn't it, it is to highlight the alienness and the sort of truly sort of 
outlandish, bizarre, out there nature of the unknown in space. That's that's what I think anyway. Well, we'll just end with, with as usual, <laughs> agree to disagree. Yeah, no problem. It's all good. Because we, they're t- we gotta get back to a good Schwarzenegger film. I was just about to say this here. This isn't uh, this isn't an Arnie film where like there's guns and bombs blown up. But you know what? I mean, I love my Arnie films too, and Marambo films. So there's a time and a place for everything. So there is within mm-hmm. films and art in general. And you know what? Yeah. Um, so if I want to, if I want to sit down, and relax, and and enjoy a good sort of action um, film with the likes of Arnie or Stallone or whatever, yeah. I'll I'll enjoy it in a different way as much as I'll enjoy the likes of Kubrick and stuff and Lynch, you know? Time and a place for it all. Yeah. (sighs) (laughs) All right. Open the the pod doors, Dave. (laughs) I I can appreciate the the effort of the graphic designers, the film crew, and everyone else. But when you got two arrogant pricks behind the behind making all the calls, this is the unfortunate you get. And sorry, you're all suckers. But anyways, uh, we're gonna wrap this. Well, one I must up. be a sucker too. Then, or maybe I'm the biggest sucker of the world. Big sucker. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna wrap this one up. Listen, guys. Uh, again, we had plenty of downloads last week. We appreciate it. Everyone yes. loves their Texas chainsaw. Uh, we got a couple fun ones coming up, but we won't announce those right away because we always end up changing them. <laughs> Yeah, we don't know. We don't want to mislead you. Exactly, we don't have to wait too many times. Yes, <laughs> we got some changes coming up. We're gonna be changing logos as we always do. Um, as you know, with podcasts, it is uh, a work in progress, and uh, we always try to reinvent ourselves uh, for the best. And uh, again, always give us a shout out if you want us to change something up or if you want us to review something you haven't heard yet on the podcasts. And certainly give us your reviews, your critiques. We certainly welcome it. All critiques. Um, constructive criticism is a necessity to build this to where 100%. we want it to go. And that's what makes it fun. Exactly. You, you know, you know. as much as I love films, I love talking about films just as much and yeah. debating them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even talking uh, 2001, you know, for the podcast, you know, it's one of those things that it, whether I, yeah, I don't like the film, but I can appreciate, yeah, the scale of it. Um, so, you know, that's something to take from it. But uh, that's it, guys. We're gonna wrap it up. Have a good one, and we'll chat soon later. Bye.